all we want here at Forest. We want God to do a deeper work in the hearts and lives of all those who are members. So if you would, stand, stand with me with your word in your hand, your sword in your hand, to Matthew the sixth chapter, beginning with the fifth verse. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. And when you pray, you must not like, but you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray. Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. I'd like to tag this text before us this morning. Praying for more. Praying for more. You may be seated. Let us go before this wonderful God, our God, our Father, in prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, Father, we come to you acknowledging your supreme rule, your reign, your excellence, your preeminence, your transcendence, yet your eminence. Lord, you are above all things, set on a high, yet you are still near where we can touch you. Father, you are still near enough to direct the affairs of men and to work in our lives for your purposes, for your glory, and for your name's sake. And Father, as we have come to your house of worship one more time, Father, I ask that your spirit will come and minister to us. That through the blood of Jesus, we would have a connection with you this morning like no other time before. That you would transform us and make us look more like Jesus through your word. And Father, we ask that you would, by the power of your spirit, incline our hearts to your word. Father, I ask that you would create in us affections that we just don't have because we are broken people. Father, I ask that you would cause us to love you right now and that the cares of this world will 
fade away and we will have nothing but a desire for Jesus right now. Father, make us love you because we need to love you. For when our love and our affections are set upon you, we would not love this world and what it has to offer. Father, I beg that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we would see Jesus this day. Father, would you please cause us to understand your word in new and fresh ways this morning that we will look at this text and say, Lord, how glorious is your word. May we marvel at your glory. May we marvel at your, at your handiwork. May we marvel at Jesus. Father, I ask that you would unite our hearts to fear your name and your name alone. For our affections are often divided and our hearts are always turned towards this world, yet we still want you. Father, solidify our hearts to make them only want you right now. Cause us to desire you more. Father, we ask that you will satisfy us this morning. May we take delight in you and you alone. May we take delight in your word and your word alone. May we take delight in you this morning, dear God, for you are the best of all beings. And Father, we are unworthy to be in your presence, but yet because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we can stand boldly and ask these things of you right now in the name of Jesus. Father, would you please have your way this morning. May you use broken, lowly sinners such as me to preach your word. Hide me behind thy cross. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. When you hear the word prayer, what does that do to you? When you hear the word prayer, what does that cause in your mind or in your heart? You know, for some people, we hear prayer and we think about, yeah, I, I, I prayed that one time and I got out of trouble. Or we may think like, yeah. I know I should be praying more, but, you know, it's just one of those things. But normally when we think about prayer, we usually have some type of understanding from our past, from our lives that has called us to think about prayer in a certain way. Or when we think about prayer, I could ask you, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your prayer life? And I believe the majority of us would, would not have high marks. But whatever we think about prayer, God in his word shows us a, a view of prayer that is truly not what we have. We, we have a certain view of prayer that is actually low and limited. And God wants to do more. 
It's kind of like in Acts, the 12th chapter, where Peter has been arrested and he's in jail and the church is praying for Peter. And that night, the text says that because of the prayers of the church, uh, uh, Peter is set free and he walks up out of jail. He just walks out of jail. Doors open. This miraculous miracle has taken place because of the prayers of God's people. And, and, and Peter goes to the house of prayer where everyone's hanging out and they're praying. And he knocks on the door. Let me in. And they say they go to the door and they see Peter and they're like, it can't be. He's in jail. It, no, this me. Let me in. And they proceed to let Peter in. It, it was, they were surprised by the power of their prayer. And you know, many times, most times, we, we truly don't understand the power of prayer. And we surprise ourselves sometimes. There's that saying, be careful what you pray for. You just may get it. And we say that because prayer is a mysterious thing sometimes to us, and we actually overcomplicate it when we don't have to. Prayer is something that we need to be taking part in more, exercising the power that God has given us through prayer. But unfortunately, like the church in Acts, when we uh, lift up a prayer to God and it gets answered, we try to figure out, well, how did that happen? Was that just a coincidence? When actually God loves to hear the prayers of his people. Unfortunately, many of us have not experienced this type of power prompted by prayer. And it's heart-wrenching and in our conditions as Christians have become stale and stagnant, boring and complacent because of our lack of prayer. Is that you? There's another saying that goes, little prayer equals little power. Some prayer equals some power, but much prayer equals much power. And God, want, God wants us to experience this power, not for our own sake, but for his glory and for his purposes as he draws us near to him. Did you know praying provides God's presence? This is the reason that prayer is powerful, because when you are entering into prayer with God, you are ushering in the very presence of God to commune with you. That's where the power comes from. It's not your words, it's not your posture, it's not your technique. The power in prayer comes, to, comes from the one who you are praying to. This is why we should spend more time in prayer. There are many situations and circumstances that God will change if we just pray. And I argue this morning, you should spend regular time in prayer because it it is the means by which God's people experience God's presence. Prayer is the means by which God's people experience God's presence. And here in the text, we just have a glimpse of what the power of prayer is able to do. Jesus, in this prolific sermon on the mount, 
chapters 5 through 7, he is walking his disciples and all those who have gathered on the mount through what it means to be a Christian. What are the characteristics of a Christian? What are the uh, responses, the behaviors, the beliefs? What does a Christian look like? And he gets to chapter 6, and he begins to lay out these acts of righteousness, and in uh, one of these acts of righteousness, he begins to talk about prayer. In your Bible, it may have the Lord's Prayer, or we call, often call it the Lord's Prayer, uh, when actually this is, this is Jesus uh, giving us a model prayer or the disciples' prayer. And as he is teaching on prayer now, Jesus wants us to see a few things. And the first thing that Jesus wants us to see is that God communes with his people through prayer. He communes with his people through prayer. Verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. In this context, every devout Jew would have prayed three times a day, morning, noontime, and evening. So prayer was something that they were familiar with. It was something that they were used to. But what Jesus wants to do with his disciples is to instruct them on how uh, this prayer, uh, this, this time of prayer should impact and affect their lives, how this righteous act should bring transformation. And he does that beginning by contrasting prayer uh, uh, two ways. One, with the Pharisees. So the Pharisees, when it was time to pray, they would come into the synagogue and they would just kind of put themselves on, on the show, on display, for everyone else to see. And they would use these marvelous, beautiful, spectacular prayers, but yet on the outside they looked like they had it all together, but on the inside they were dead. Then Jesus contrasts genuine prayer with that of the Gentiles. And he says that the Gentiles, they use uh, vain repetition, empty phrases. And what they would do is they would stack up these phrases and say them over and over and over again in order to try to get God to move on their behalf or to, to get God to do what they wanted to do. But in all of their piety and, and form of righteousness, what they really were doing was just sending up empty phrases. It didn't mean anything. It had no heart behind them. So Jesus, he, he contrasts these two forms of prayer with genuine prayer. See, the problem in and of itself has become, prayer has become the means to an end. Prayer in itself. They are using prayer not to make much of God, but to make much of themselves. The Pharisees and the Gentiles have prayer as their goal and not God. That's the issue here. 
God, Jesus is, is telling us you have these two distinct groups who are using prayer, uh, abusing it for their own purposes, but the goal is to show off in prayer instead of communing with God. You can miss God when you pray. Your heart can be so set on the prayer itself that you miss the person in the prayer that you're trying to meet. Jesus is trying to set in order, order what are the purposes for prayer. The, the purpose in prayer is to meet God, to commune with God to enjoy him, to, to, to have this fellowship, this relationship, not just to pray. Jesus wants his disciples to learn that prayer is not the goal, but God is. God is the goal of prayer. And I think a lot of times we find it difficult to pray because we focus on the prayer. Have you, ever, have you ever had that, that, that moment where you come up to begin praying? Okay, I, I'm, I, I'm going to start. This is the new year. And it, we're, we're, it's the church fast, so, so I, I'm going to start praying every morning. And you get ready, and you, you, you get into your little quiet space, and you get ready to pray, and all of a sudden it's like, uh, uh, it's like you're stuck because you really don't know what to do. See, the the problem is you're focused on the, the method, the procedure, and the words, and you're not thinking about the person that you're getting ready to meet in the first place. Because when we think about the person we're getting ready to meet in the first place, we can just have a regular conversation like he was sitting across from us at the table. You don't have to have a certain approach to God. You just come. Don't let prayer become a hindrance because you think you don't know what you're doing. God just wants you to come. Just come to him and have a conversation with him. And here, this is, this is described when Jesus talks about, in verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Jesus is talking about the close off yourself from all of these distractions. Close, close yourself out from all these people uh, so no one really knows what you're doing, but you just go in to meet God. You two alone. Have, have intimate fellowship. Have a, a good time together in prayer. This is what God wants us to do. How would you define prayer? few godly men define prayer like this. H.B. Charles Jr., in his book, he defines prayer as prayer is our Christian duty. It is an expression of submission to God and dependence upon him. Prayer is conversation and communion with God. Paul Miller, he writes, prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect to God. Timothy Keller, wonderful pastor, says this, prayer is both conversation and encounter with God. Continuing a conversation that God has started through his word and his grace. 
which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. Prayer is just the means of how you get to God. If you are on a journey to Cincinnati and you're trying to figure out how to get there, you will get in the car, fill up the tank, and drive up 71, right? The car is the means to how you get there. You're not excited about the car. You're excited about the destination. You're excited about getting to Cincinnati because you got some places where you want to go. You're not worried about the fuel and the ride. You just want to get there. And we have to treat prayer as the means by which I get to commune with God. So now my attitude changes when I'm about to pray. I don't have to stump. I don't, oh, man, I got to pray again. I come with full expectation that I'm about to get in this, I'm about to get in my ride. And I'm about to take a journey down the way, but I'm getting ready to meet God and spend time with him. Prayer is not the object. God is. That changes my entire perspective of when it comes to prayer. I can enjoy it because I know who I'm going to meet there. I think I could say that the way that men and women go about in a dating relationship is just a little bit different. See, when a, a guy goes out on a date with someone and comes back and tells his homeboys, the first thing they say is like, so you went on your date? All right, what's she look like? Oh, she was bad, and you know, you go start talking about it. But a woman is different. They're more sophisticated. You talk to a woman about how they went on a, a date, and they come back, you went on a date? Yeah. Well, what did you talk about? How was the conversation? See, once we press past wanting to get out of prayer our own means and our selfish desires, we can begin to press towards God and enjoy a conversation with him. That's what becomes sweet. I get to sit with Jesus and have a conversation, to hear his heart, to know his desires, to share my fears, to share, to share what's going on in my life. Lord, I, I'm hanging on by a thread right now. Lord, times are so hard right now. It's difficult right now. And I can have a sweet conversation with Jesus. And he's going to listen. And he's going he's to love on me. That's communion. Spending time with Jesus. Enjoying his presence. Tim Keller has said, he said, prayer is the response to a conversation started by God. This is the conversation that started when he said, let there be. In the beginning, when God creates the heaven and the earth, why why is he creating this world? He has created this world in order to be in communion with a people, drawing him to himself. And this is merely a response that, Lord, you have called and I'm answering you. I just want to have fellowship with you. The psalm says the heavens declare the glory of God. God, did you know that God has flung stars in the sky to speak to you? They're declaring his glory. They're declaring his goodness. And he just wants you to respond to him, to enjoy him. Prayer is the pursuit of God. God wants us to know him, to enjoy him. Psalm 73, 25 and 26, the psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you? 
And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Is, is Jesus your portion this morning? He becomes your portion when you spend time in communion with him, stealing away. You should spend time in prayer in order to experience communion with God. As we navigate through this text, this, this is just, this is just a, a high level explanation of what Jesus is doing here. But not only does God commune with his people through prayer, but God conforms his people through prayer. Look at verses 9 through 13. It says, pray, Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Notice what's going on right here. Jesus, he, he moves from the purpose of prayer to the practice of prayer. The first half of this prayer is an upward prayer, but the second half is an inward prayer. Jesus wants his disciples to enter into prayer as a means to conform their lives to his will. God wants to change us through prayer. Now, dare I say, if I, if I was to ask you, uh, how many in here know that prayer changes things? You may know that uh, prayer changes things because you had a situation one time and you stopped and you prayed over it. You had a wayward child or uh, just a, a bill that needed to get paid. You just needed deliverance and, and you prayed about it and God showed up right on time. God is able to change a situation through prayer. But beloved, let me explain to you, God doesn't just change things through prayer. God changes you through prayer. He changes us while we are in the midst of pursuing him, this is what Jesus is pointing out here. Prayer is a change agent in the life of a believer. What, is, well, 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 what, what does that mean as a change agent? One scholar puts it like this. He says, prayer is much about changing us, our character, our will, and our values, even while we seek God's response. Did you know that situation that God has you praying through right now uh, is not a situation for you to overcome. It's a situation he wants to transform you through. We're trying to pray our way out of stuff sometimes, but God wants to change us in the midst of the crisis. This is what's going on here in the text. Look what Jesus is talking about. The first thing he says, Jesus wants to change our devotion. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We can stop right with our Father because even praying our Father, you're stepping into your prayer closet and you're announcing, Lord, this is all about you. This, this right now is not all about me. It's all about you. And, and, I, and I call you Father because you have full authority you have full claim. You have full say. You, I, I am in submission to you right now, my Father. You are the, uh, the most high 
the most beautiful, the most beloved. And I'll come just acknowledging you. Our Father in heaven. Uh, what Jesus wants to do is reorient our, our, our thinking because this is not an ordinary person. But he sits on high. He sits on his throne. And he's ruling and he's reigning. Uh, hallowed be your name. Lord, may your name be blessed in this earth. May I have reverence and awe and respect for you. May this world come to know you and the saving grace through Jesus Christ. What is Jesus saying? That changes my devotion. Because at every other point in the day, I'm mostly thinking about myself. I'm thinking about, am I running late for work? Do I have my lunch? Is my coworker going to get on my nerves today? What I'm going to do later? What am I going to have for dinner tonight? We fasting. And when we're thinking through all these things, and I'm devoting my mind to myself. But Jesus says, when you approach me a prayer, this is an opportunity to rearrange your thought life and to focus your gaze on me and not on yourself. So through prayer, Jesus uh, wants to change our devotion. But not only that, he wants to change our desires. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I, I want you to rule and reign right now. I want you to bring your peace. I want you to bring your power. I, I, I want you to bring your way, not my way, but your way. I, I want the things that you want. I want to love the things that you love. I want to hate the things that you hate. I want to be more like Jesus. I, I, I just want to conform to your will. The way that the, the world is going, I want it to be like you. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that the beautiful thing about that prayer? That you, we are, at, Jesus says, for us to ask that as heaven is obedient and experiencing the full presence of God right now, we want that right before us here on earth. Come, Lord Jesus. Through this prayer, Jesus is rearranging our desires, but then also Jesus is rearranging our dependence. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. What are we asking for? Is this, just give me something to eat? No, this is, this is hearkening back to the Exodus and God's provision of the manna each and every day. And if you were, Remember the story of the manna. God would rain down enough manna for that day. And if they, if they collected more, more of this, this angel bread, then what they were really going to use by the end of the day, it would spoil. So what God was concerned with is that Israel had everything they need for that day. He provided it. So when Jesus tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, he is saying that, I should be completely, totally, and utterly dependent upon God this day for my provision. I, I'm not trying to be slick. I ain't trying to figure it out. I ain't trying to make things happen. I need to be dependent upon God today. Who do you depend on when you get that call? Who do you depend on when you get that bill? 
Is the first thing to get on the phone to see if you can borrow some money, or is the first thing you do is get on your knees to see if your heavenly father can do something with this? Dependence. Jesus is telling me to not to be self-sufficient, independent, autonomous. He's saying for me to be poor, weak, and needy. To always be crying out for more of Jesus. Give me more of you in order that my steps will be ordered today, oh God. He's changing our disposition through prayer. And forgive us our debts as we have as we also have forgetting our debtors. Jesus is having us pray in a way that God would take the taste of sin out of our mouth. Jesus, forgive me of my debts. Repentance, repentance is not just saying I'm sorry. Repentance is saying, Lord, I'm sorry and I don't want to do it again. Lord, I, I, I don't want to go, I don't want to go to that store no more. I, I don't want to go to this house anymore. Lord, I want you to, to rearrange my affections in such a way where I don't even have a taste for it anymore. Change my disposition. Make me want you. Forgive us of our debts. But then not only does he want to change our disposition towards him, he wants to change our disposition towards one another. as we also have forgiven our debtors. A debtor would be one that owed a certain amount of money, a certain amount of something, and was indebted to that person. When someone wrongs us, there's a sense of uh, indebtedness. They have wronged us, and they owe us an apology, and we would like to forgive them. But many times, even today, we, we, we have roots of bitterness in our heart. We have people that we don't want to forgive. But God is saying, when you approach me in prayer, I am able to wrestle from your, your, your white-knuckle hands that issue that is causing you so much pain. I, I, I am able to, to navigate the channels of your heart and unlock those secret hurts those secret pains, and allow you to offer forgiveness where pain was given. I'm able to do it through prayer. But lastly, he, Jesus wants to change our direction and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the understanding that as, as the tests and trials of life come up against us, Lord, help us not to fall into that pit. Help us to not fall into that issue. Help me to get out of it and, and not to run astray. And keep me from the evil one. Keep me from Satan and his minions because you know he's slick. It would take a number of sermons just to dig into the richness of this text. But the, the big picture of what we want to see is that God is conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ through this prayer. He wants us to be solely focused on him, solely dependent upon him, solely empowered by him, that, that our lives will reflect the glory of Christ in this world. He's transforming us from the inside out. If you heard me talk about things before, you know I have an affection for cartoons. 
Before children, of course, I'm a love cartoon. But I love watching Transformers. And most recently, my favorite uh, series was Transformers Prime. And in one of the episodes, Starscream, he had what is called his T-Cog taken out. And his T-Cog is, is the device that helped him to transform. In order to fly, he had to have his T-Cog. So, I mean, so what would happen? So he would try to transform, he would try to change, but nothing would happen because he didn't have the right pieces, he didn't have the right parts. So when I'm thinking about the Christian life, it's like I want to change, but without prayer, you're going nowhere. You, 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 want, you want another direction, you, you want deliverance, but without prayer, ain't nothing going to happen. And God is saying, I, I, through prayer, as you meet with me, I will do something in your heart that brings a genuine transformation and will make you love me more. That's what God wants to do with us this morning, to make us love him more. Not only does God commune with his people through prayer, not only does God conform his people through prayer, But lastly, God confirms his people through prayer. What does that mean? Verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What is going on there? Jesus is saying forgiveness is the only act that the disciple is responsible for. When you look at the practice of prayer, every single facet is focused on the Father. But when it comes to forgiveness, this is something that we must do. Jesus wants his disciples to see that through genuine prayer, they would be able to forgive others. But it doesn't stop there. That forgiveness is an indication that they have saving grace in their lives. This forgiveness would indicate the people who belong to Jesus and the people who do not belong to Jesus. This saving grace that allows someone to forgive would show the world that I am a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. This forgiveness, this is, this is walking out their faith. Here, prayer is the catalyst by which faith is unleashed to act. That's all it is. By praying, The faith that I have is unleashed to do something. A lot of times we we sit on our word and we sit in our preaching and we hear what God is saying and we just kind of sit on it and take it home. It never really goes anywhere. It never really impacts someone else. But what, what Jesus is saying, when you have been transformed from the inside out through prayer, your faith will now take a step and do something as exhibited here, you will forgive others because you have been forgiven much. That is the essence of how God confirms his people. How have you been exercising your faith lately? Has has God been calling you to trust him, to believe in him, to move, to, uh, to obey him in a certain way, but yet we have not acted? God is calling us to pray. Force he is calling us to believe that he is able to transform us. Prayer produces action, 
in the believer's life. Prayer should train us to act by faith. So what do we see? You you should spend time in prayer in order to experience the assuring hand of God. Jesus makes it plain. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, there is an expectation that you would pray. In verses 5 through 8, he says it a number of times, and when you pray, and when you pray. When you pray, go and do this. There's an expectation that we would pray. Why? Because Jesus knows that we can't do this life on our own. We can't act like we're supposed to act. We can't talk like we're supposed to talk. We can't manifest his goodness to this onlooking world in and of our own strip. We must be a people of prayer. So what about people's objections to prayer? A familiar objection to prayer is, I don't have time to pray. That's simple. I simply say, you don't have You don't have enough time not to pray. If your day is loaded with things to do, how will you fuel yourself in order to make it through? Apart from prayer, we would be weak. We would be weary. Or what about God doesn't answer my prayer? I hear that often. I've said that often. Many different reasons, but some, James says sometimes we don't receive what we pray for is because we ask with selfish motives. Yeah, Lord, I, uh, Lord, I want that car. I, I want to hit them numbers that, oh, Lord, I'll tap, I'll tap on for it. But we want things for our selfish motives, and, and James says you, you ask wrongly. Well, there may be sin in your life. That is hindering your prayers. Uh, uh, Peter tells us that if a husband is not in, in a good relationship with his wife, that is, prayers would be hindered. There's all kinds of reasons why prayer may not be answered according to the way you think. But believe this, every prayer that goes up is answered. God either says yes, he says no, or he says wait. See, we just hear no, and we get angry. But Lord, I want it. No. But Lord, I want it. No. I praise God for saying no to some of my prayers. I thank God that he saved me from my foolish self, praying for things I know I ain't got no business praying for. He just says no. You can't have it. Lastly, If God already knows what I need, then why should I pray? This can be answered a number of ways, but three quick ones here. Uh, We pray because God commands us to pray. Paul tells us in Thessalonians that we are to be praying without ceasing. We see here Jesus has the expectation that those who are his would pray. So God commands us to pray, but then also We pray because God wants to do something in your prayers to transform you. We saw that. God takes prayer, but he transforms us that even though we're in the midst of the storm, we're still able to have peace. But then lastly, and we see this a lot, 
We should pray because God has sovereignly chosen prayer as the means by which he will work. God wants to do amazing, fantastic things for us. We need only to pray. We need only to pray. How do we figure out how to pray? Prayer is it's not difficult. You can use a number of different methods. But what I want to do, I want to refer to you, I want to refer to you a couple different resources. One of the resources, these are resources that have truly blessed me as I have pursued this spiritual discipline. One is Donald Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Spiritual Disciplines, Disciplines for the Christian Life. Another resource on prayer is Timothy Keller's book, Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God. Another prayer is written by H.B. Charles, It happens after prayer. And as a matter of fact, directly following worship service for all of our ministry leaders, all of our ministry leaders, you come down, I have a copy of that for you. It happens after prayer. For Paul E. Miller, he's written a book called A Praying Life, Connecting with God in a Distracting World. And lastly, one of the most beneficial books on prayer that I've read that has really helped tremendously is D.A. Carson's book, A Call to Spiritual Reformation, Priorities from Paul and His Prayers. I don't know about you, but when I'm reminded of the importance of prayer, I'm reminded about how much of, of a failure I really am. And there are times where I've failed so much in prayer, I don't even want to go back. Why do I I want to beat myself up even more when I know I keep failing? See, but if you remember the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus came to teach the people that they were just that, failures. Because he says in chapter 5, that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you shall have no part to the kingdom of God. And the Pharisees of, of that day were the, one, the very ones that everyone wanted to be like. So Jesus was saying, unless you are better than these Pharisees, you can never go to heaven. Later on in chapter 5, he says, unless you are perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, you shall not see heaven. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that unless you are perfect, you will not go to heaven. He's reminding us that we're failures. But why is he reminding us that we're failures? To point us to the hope that we have in Jesus. He shows us the failures that we are, but then he shows us the victor that he is. And because he is victorious, he has obeyed every law. He has lived a sinless life. He has been obedient in all thought and deed. He has not failed in any form of the law. And because he gives his life for you, you can have sinless perfection as well. So we may look at this text and be discouraged. But I submit, beloved, that we can be encouraged. Because all this text does is show me that I need grace. And grace tells me that I don't have to be perfect in order to be pleasing to God. Grace tells me that Jesus already took care of the price for sin. 
Grace tells me that I don't have to have a perfect day in order to be pleasing to my Father in heaven. Grace reminds me it wasn't mine to get in the first place. It was given to me, applied to my life, and now I'm just walking in it. Grace tells me that though I am a failure, Jesus is victorious. Grace that comes through Jesus Christ reminds me that I don't have to have it all together before I come to him because I never had it all together and I never will until I get to glory anyway. That's why we sing about this grace and call it amazing. Because it does the very things that we wish we could do, but we can't. It transforms us, encourages us, and strengthens us, and tells us to keep on going. As we approach his throne of grace today, may we do so through repentance and faith. Lord, I am sorry for not praying. I'm sorry for not pursuing you. If you please forgive me, I believe that Jesus would give me the supernatural power to chase after him from now on. That is how grace works. That is how grace is applied. Prayer provides God's presence. God communes with his people through prayer. God conforms his people through prayer. God confirms his people through prayer. You should spend regular time in prayer because it is the means by which God's people experience God's presence here on earth. Let us pray.